to, and, and, and I want to make sure we don't miss the true message. So hang with me. We're going to give a little background. If you need a worship guide, raise your hand, and we're gonna, we'll get those out while I'm giving a little introduction. Just keep your hand up till you get one. Stay with me here. I'm going to give you a clear picture here of the book of Jonah before we get started, because we've got four weeks, okay? Number one, it's got four chapters, very small book, 48 total verses for an average of 12 verses per chapter. So an unusual book in the Bible in the length of the book, very small, but very powerful. The author is the prophet Jonah. His name means dove. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 25, way before uh, the book of Jonah, we find that Jonah was a prophet. You can see in that verse, he was the son of Amittai, the prophet. A prophet who preached. And he preached 800 to 750 years before Christ, B.C. So we're talking about a long time ago. But in the annals of history, there was a man named Jonah. This is not a fairy tale. This is not some sort of a fiction story. This is an amazing true story that actually happened. The content of the book of Jonah can be broken down into four chapters. Chapter number one, you're going to see that there was a call by God to Jonah to preach the gospel to the people of Nineveh. Jonah rebelled. Jonah refused to go. This is all in chapter one. We're going to talk about this today. As a result of his rebellion, he went in the opposite direction. A storm came and these sailors on this boat threw Jonah overboard and a fish swallowed him. That's chapter one. So chapter one, let's sum it up. Jonah rebels and is swallowed by a fish. Chapter two. In chapter two, Jonah gets right with God inside the belly of that fish. And the fish spits him out. And what we learn about in chapter 2 is we learn a lot about how to get right with God. So Jonah gets right with God. In chapter 3, Jonah does what God asks him to do. He goes to Nineveh, he preaches, he obeys God, and revival breaks out. And you have this amazing revival that takes place in this city of Nineveh of over a million people. And it's an amazing story of revival. So basically, to sum it all up, Jonah preaches and revival breaks out. And then in chapter 4, Jonah is drained emotionally. Jonah finds himself drained spiritually. He gets depressed. And God, in his mercy, comes beside Jonah and encourages him. So it's an amazing chapter to sum it all up of just the mercy of God, even when we are unthankful and unappreciative and, in, and not in a right state of mind. So in these four chapters, there's a whole lot that can be said. But one of the things that we don't want to miss is what is the theme of Jonah? Because in the theme of Jonah, we find so much of its message. Now, oftentimes when you ask someone, what do you think about when they think of the book of Jonah? It's the whale. I mean, in a survey, that would be the winner. The winner is the whale. For some reason, that's what people want to talk about. That's what they want to go to, almost as if it is the theme of the book. And yet the whale is only mentioned four times in the entire book. It's not the whale. And it's not Jonah. Jonah gets a lot of credit in the book, but, and we want to think that the theme of the book is about Jonah, but it's not about Jonah because Jonah's only mentioned 18 times in the book. 
Maybe we think it's Nineveh, you know, the city. It's about the city. It's about, you know, the condition of that city. But Nineveh is only mentioned nine times in the book. The theme of the book of Jonah is not Jonah. It's not Nineveh. It's not the whale. The theme of the book is God himself. God is mentioned in that tiny little book 38 times in 48 verses. Let's not miss the theme of the entire word of God. And that is God. It is the word of God. God is the theme. God is preeminent in the book of Jonah. We learn from the book of Jonah that God is loving. We learn in the book of Jonah that God is merciful. We learn God is compassionate. We learn that God is patient. We learn in the book of Jonah that God is very caring. But probably most important, we learn in the book of Jonah that God is pursuing. God is pursuing us. And when God lays his hand upon our lives like he did Jonah, I mean, God's hand was upon Jonah. When God does that, he does it for good. He doesn't, he, he doesn't stop pursuing us. He has a plan for our lives. And many times we find ourselves running from that, that plan. But scripture teaches us that you may run and you may hide and you may struggle and you may rebel. But when you do or rather, when, when, when God has his hand upon your life, he's coming after you until you do what God has, has called you to do. You see, all of us in this room, all of us have an area in our lives of rebellion. All of us in our lives have an area, uh, in this room, have an area that we are backslidden in. The thing that I fear most when when we, uh, when we speak on a particular subject, is that someone would think they're exempt from it. Like, I'm okay, I got this. No, this will be four weeks of just information because I'm not Jonah, I'm not backslidden. And it's almost as if we give this impression, if we're not careful, and I've been there, done that, as if we're okay. We're perfect, or we don't need this. Or, here's the big one, I'm not as bad as Jonah. And so what happens is, is we begin to kind of remove ourselves from the Holy Spirit's uh, conviction. And you can't do that because God's coming after you today. God is pursuing you. God is pursuing me. God loves us. And I believe that God wants to put his hand on all of us this morning. And through this series, God wants to reveal in us what it is, the area for which we are running from God in. The area of which we are rebelling in and bring us back to a place where we can be effectively used for God. Whether it be preaching in Nineveh or whether it be a witness at your work or whether it just be the kind of husband that God wants you to be, men, or the kind of wife that God wants you to be, the kind of dad or the kind of mom that God wants you to be. What area are you backslidden in? What area are you rebelling in. I want this to be a life-changing series. And in order for that to happen, we've got to understand each chapter because each chapter has a message that helps us to get back to God in every area of our lives. So I'm going to give you the two points of the sermon in the beginning. And the reason I'm going to do that is because it comes up throughout the entire chapter one. It's You can't get away from it. You can't run from these two thoughts. For me to give thought one and preach a while and thought two and preach a while would be foolish because 
The whole chapter is about thought one, thought two, thought one, thought two, point one, point two. It's just all throughout the chapter. Point one is this, that the longer our rebellion lasts, the harder it is to get back. You see that on the screen. The longer our rebellion lasts, the harder it is to get back. You see, what do we mean by the word rebellion? Because we, we, we really get uncomfortable with that word, don't we? I can already tell. We kind of wonder, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't that like a really bad word? Because I'm not really bad. I mean, that, that, that seems pretty harsh, preacher. What do you mean, rebellion? Well, rebellion is, is not some things. First of all, it's not ignorance. Meaning this, that if you don't know, if you don't know something, then you're not held accountable for it to an extent. You know, you can't, you can't get right about something that you don't know. So we're not talking about ignorance here. We're not talking about, I, I didn't know. We're not talking about, discouragement. Rebellion is not discouragement, meaning this, that oftentimes I have found people are really working at, at, at doing the right thing. They know it's right and they're working at it. It's just tough. Maybe it's a habit that's hard to break. I, I love, I love hearing these little cute stories about a, like, for instance, I, I can think of people sitting in this room, people in our church congregation. Now, years ago, when you first got saved, I would hear things like this preacher, I'm down to 15 cigarettes a day. And you know what I'm doing? I'm saying, you might be the most spiritual person in this church. Did that shock you? Did it shock you that somebody who went from 30 cigarettes to 15 could be more on fire for God than you? Exactly. Because your pride is still pretty high. Maybe your, your iniquity in some area is, 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 is way bad. And you're just glad you don't smoke. So you think that you're okay. The truth of the matter is, is if you're trying to get back to God, if you're working on the area of weakness that you're working on, and if sometimes you get really down because you mess up, but you always get back up, that's not rebellion. That is not rebellion. I'm gonna tell you what rebellion is. Rebellion is where you know what God wants you to do, but you won't do it. Rebellion is a refusal to do what God clearly requires. That's rebellion. Whether that's in your marriage, whether that's in your, you know, dealing with your kids, whether that's my time, whether that's my finances or my lifestyle, I know what God wants me to do. I know what God says about my time. I know what God says about this lifestyle. I know what God says about finances, giving. I know what God says about raising my children and being a faithful husband or a faithful wife. I know what God says, but you know what? I don't care. That's rebellion. And then number two, God Secondly, and it comes up several times in the chapter, chapter one, God is relentless in his pursuit of us. God just keeps coming after us. Wave after wave, time after time, storm after storm. God loves us, so God pursues us. And God is going to come after you with some specific stuff in your life so that you will recognize his love for you and that he does not give up on you. He's going to come after you. 
So let's go to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Let's see how this all played out in Jonah's life and work through this. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Look at here, arise. Notice the call. The call is this. Hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city. It's pretty clear, isn't it? It's not very many words. It's not detailed. It's just arise, go to the great city of Nineveh. Pure and simple. That was the call. But Jonah did not want to do it. And here's why. Because he hated the Ninevites. It didn't matter what God said. It didn't matter that God wanted Jonah to go preach repentance to the Ninevites. Did not matter because Jonah hated them. Why did Jonah hate them? Jonah hated them because of the history that the Israelites had with the, with the Ninevites. They had murdered many of the Israelite people. And, and as a result of that, the battles that they had through history, Jonah had built up resentment and hatred and bitterness for these people. And he just wanted them to die themselves and go to hell. And Jonah didn't want to obey God. Even though it was a clear command. Even though it was clear what God was requiring of Jonah. Go. Very specific. Cry out was the second thing. Look at verse 1 again just real quickly here. If, you, if you'll notice it says that God said go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it. And the last part of the verse says, for their wickedness is come up before me. It had to be bad. It just had to be so bad there because... God was literally pointing out the fact that their wickedness was so pitiful, it was so bad, that he needed a prophet to go and preach to the Ninevites the truth about what they were doing. Cry out, let them know, God said, let them know how I feel about their sin. Jonah was to confront sin. Jonah was called to to warn of its consequences. All around us today, church, we see that this world is against God. So many things that are happening in our world today. You know, if you would have gone to Teen Revolution, what's so, what was so beautiful about, here we are living in a very wicked world, in a very wicked society, a society that's, that, that even we see the church becoming so tolerant of sin. And, we, and I even see it permeating through our youth at times. And that's why I'm so thankful for what happened the past couple of weeks. It is there was a greater awareness of and a, and a crying out against some things to remind us, look, this is wrong. This is against the Bible. If you think for a minute that the preachers we had at Teen Revolution were soft soaping and, and water, watering down and tiptoeing through the tulips with our kids, you're wrong. It was straightforward, really kind of in your face. It was preaching where kids were getting right at the altar and, 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 and getting rid of their sin and confessing to God. I mean, here, here's a, a gay teenager saying, Mom, pray with me. i got to go back to church. Falling under conviction because of the message was strong about sin. Church, here's what I'm saying. That, that my calling from God is, is, is not, it, not just to get up here and tell you what you want to hear, but to tell you, thus saith the Lord. That's what it is. I do it in a loving way, sure. Because truth without love is, is brutality. But, but, but preaching the, the truth in love is, is compassion. It means I do love you. And so the truth must be preached. And Jeremiah did it throughout the entire book and he wasn't popular. 
And he didn't see much results, but one statement you'll see throughout the book of Jeremiah. In fact, if I were preaching through the book of Jeremiah, which would take a whole lot longer than four weeks. But if I was doing it, you know what the theme would be? Thus saith the Lord. It all starts in chapter 2, verse 4, and it just runs through that book like crazy because that's what Jeremiah said over and over again. Hey, this is what God says, not me, God. And that's what Jonah, that's what God was asking Jonah to do. If I could give our church a little counsel this morning, it might be this. When God opens up a door for you to speak for him, do just that. When God opens up a door, listen, it is not just the prophet's responsibility. It's not just the preacher's responsibility or the, the one uh, you know, who, who is in a position of leadership. It's all of us, all of us have been called to say, uh, to speak up for Jesus. And our message is going to produce one of two responses. The first response is going to either be total life transformation. And that's what we saw this week. We saw people just totally turning their lives around, giving their lives to Jesus. We saw the altars filled many times and dramatic life transformation was taking place at Team Revolution the past couple of weeks. And oftentimes that's what you see. You see dramatic life. You open up your mouth, you say a word for Jesus and and God begins to move in their hearts. God uses you. How shall they hear without a preach? I mean... God uses you. You confront them. You love them enough to speak up for God. God says, go tell them. Cry out against what they're doing. Love them enough to care for them to not continue in their sin. That's what God's asking all of us to do. You're going to see one of two responses. Dramatic life transformation or number two, total rejection. I see that a lot. In fact, number two is probably more prevalent than number one. Just total rejection. Now, get out of my face. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Even some Christians. Well, he's just a hate preacher. You know, I always hate it when they blame me for stuff God says to do. I'm like, why am I at fault? I'm just telling you what God Almighty said. I'm just preaching the word of God, you know. And again, remember now, we're in the book of Jonah. So contextually, this is the message. This is the message. If I was preaching... Another book of the Bible or John 3.16. But this is, the, this is Jonah. This is God's word for us for the next four weeks. We, we can't avoid this. And this is all throughout scripture. By the way, John the Baptist, he got his head cut off. Because he would not back down from, he was crying out, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh yeah, here's the guillotine, John. That's what you get for speaking out. I mean, what do I get? I get just a few corny looks. I can handle it. Just If I can keep my head, I'm good. If I can preach like this and still have a head, I'm, I mean, I'm like way ahead of the game. You see, this is all throughout Scripture. Obedience to clearly speaking for God. Do you speak for God? Do you speak for God? Do you love people enough to confront them? Do you love your spouse enough? Do you love your friend enough? Do you love your neighbor enough? Do you love your kids enough? Just as many refused to speak for God, so did Jonah. And, and God called it rebellion. So let's move on to verse 3. We find in verse number 3 as we continue through the text here. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. 
Now, just for a moment, let's just talk about that for a moment because Jonah rose up to flee. What does that mean? To run. From who? From God. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, I'm out of here. And when Jonah, when it says he, he, he rose up to flee to Tarshish, on a map in those, in the geographical days of that time, that would have been as far east as you could go from Nineveh. In other words, that would be like, God says, go to San Francisco and you go to Miami. That's about it. Just illustration. It wasn't like he was going, you know, I, God, God says, Eric, preach in hot springs and I go to Mount Ida, you know. No, I mean, that's like, that's as far away as I can go from God's will. Jonah fleed to Tarshish down, uh, from the presence of the Lord. Very interesting statement. Why in the world? Think about this. and We'll come back to this in just a few minutes. Why in the world would anybody want to flee from God's presence? God loves us. God, God cares for God died for us. God, God's presence is his, his presence is with us. I mean, think about that. He was running from the presence of God. The safest place there is in all the world is the presence of God. And he fleed from the presence of God and he went down to Joppa and he found a ship. By the way, if you want to run from God, you can find just about any way to do it. I've been married today for 29 years, my anniversary. Can I tell you, thank you, clap for her, man, good night, she's put up with me, but for 29 years, I can tell you there's been at least a thousand times that I could have found a ship and cheated on my wife, it's been a thousand plus times, there's been a lustful thought, a temptation, even worse than that an offer, a situation, an uncomfortable moment that I knew the devil was offering to me. I could have found a ship. You want to find a way to rebel from God? It can happen on a church campus. It can happen in a church service. How many people have stormed out of church services? How many people have cut the preacher off? How many people have, I mean, honestly, there are ships everywhere that'll take you to a place away from God. The devil has fiery darts aimed at every corner of your life. Jonah finds a ship. It's going to Tarshish. Obviously, it wasn't hard to find it. He's, he's running from God. He finds the ship and he pays the fare. If you want to run from God, you'll pay the fare. But if you want to run to God, he'll pay the fare. Who wants to pay? You want to pay? You want God to pay. See, here's the thing. You got to realize Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. Why are you paying for your sins when Jesus paid it all? Why are we running from God and suffering the consequences of something that Jesus said, look, you don't have to go there. Jonah pays the fare. And he went down, he went down into the ship and to go with them unto Tarshish. And again, in the same verse, it's just interesting to me that in the same verse, we have the same statement from the presence of the Lord. Now, remember, the longer, what did we say? The longer our rebellion lasts, the harder it is to get back. Remember that. There it is. The longer it lasts. Think about it. He, he flees from the Lord. He goes into the ship. He pays the fare. He's off to, I mean, he goes down to the bottom. Of the, he goes, I mean, this is like step after step. He's just, he's just 
away from God, farther away from God, farther away, farther away, farther away from God. And it's harder to get back. Again, going to my marriage, I guarantee you my wife would be thankful for every time I get right with God. I'm just speaking as a man because it's easier for me to relate to all of us through my experiences. Because I can't speak for you. But I can speak for me. But I'm sure my wife is very grateful that when I have had a moment of weakness that I've gotten right with God at that moment. Because if I have a bad thought and then I decide to check out the internet and then I decide to make that call and then I decide to meet up with that woman and then I, how hard is it? I, 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 don't, I, I haven't asked her yet this morning, but I bet she's really thankful that I'm getting with God right here, getting right with God. And by the way, all of us are prone to wander. But God's mercy is new every morning. It's right there. It's right there to forgive you. It's right there to keep you. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that I'm some, I don't want you to think that I'm some horrible person that is constantly dealing with these things, but I deal with them. I deal with them. And I, it's a good day for me on my anniversary to remember maybe one of the reasons why I'm still celebrating 29 years is because I've been keeping short accounts with God. Because, man, it sure is hard to keep a marriage together when you keep going away from God and what he says to do to keep a marriage strong. Are you with me? So, so my point is this, is that we've got to understand that, that Jonah, Jonah knew that God was there. Jonah knew he could not run from God because Jonah had Psalm 139. And what does Psalm 139 say? Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I free from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I take wings in the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, and even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Wow, Jonah knew that. But he ran from the presence of the Lord. So what is God going to do? I wonder what God's going to do about all this. Jonah's taken off. What's God going to do? Remember number two, point number two. Remember I told you it keeps coming up. God is in relentless pursuit of us. So let's check God out in verse four. What's God up to? But the Lord, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. God sent a storm. That's right. There was no storm. And then there was a really bad storm. It went from like nothing to, it's like taking a, God took a snowball. Can you picture God? And here he is. Here's that picture. Jonah gets on the ship and God takes that snowball, that storm, and just goes, throws it on him. I mean, just almost God sends the storm and he sends a really bad storm, like a category, whatever the highest category is storm. And throws it on that situation. And the, the Bible says the mighty wind comes. And it, it's a tempestuous storm. And the seas are, are, are raging. And the waves are coming up over the, 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 the boat. And it's just an incredible situation. God sent a storm into Jonah's life. And sometimes God sends storms into our life. Why does God send storms in our lives? Many times because we are rebellious. We're running from God. And he pursues us. And he sends a storm in our lives. A commentary said, the same God that stills the storms in the lives of the submissive one 
creates the storm in the life of the rebellious one. Same God. God stills the storm in the life of the submissive. God creates the storm in the life of the rebellious. Why? Because God pursues us. God's after us. God's got his hand upon our lives. God put his hand upon Jonah. Jonah was God's prophet. And Jonah is running from God. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, Jonah. I'm coming after you, boy. And the farther you run and the harder you run, the worse it's going to get. And he sends a mighty storm. Look at verse 5. It began to affect others around Jonah. And by the way, our rebellion always affects others. Dads, your pornography is going to mess your kids up if you're not careful. Dads, the way you treat your wife is going to affect the way your son treats his. Amen. I don't expect to get many amens when I'm like really right. You know. I love the Arkansas Razorbacks. Good. I'm glad you didn't say amen. I figured that one gets you more excited than getting right with God. Because we kind of consider getting right with God like, you know, when you like another team and you start liking the Razorbacks. That's like revival. Truth of the matter is that won't matter when we get to heaven. What matters is this right here. The word of God. And I love the Razorbacks, okay? But the truth is, we've got to understand there's a message here. And the message is this. The message is that, in verse 5, is that when we rebel, it affects others around us. Look at this. Then the mariners were afraid. Why are the mariners afraid? These guys are like professional, you know, seamen. I mean, these guys are used to storms. They live on the boat. These are the guys that that know how to handle these situations. Me? I'm like scared of the water. I, I don't know much about driving a boat, riding a boat. I, I, I would not know what to do if a storm came. I would be looking. It's like when the pilot gets nervous, you're like really nervous. It's like turbulence is enough, but when the pilot says, buckle your seatbelts, we're not sure what's going on, you're like freaking out. When the pilot's nervous, the, the, the mariners are afraid. And they cry unto every man his God. Please pay attention to the text. It's a little g God. They were not saved. And maybe that's your problem. Maybe your problem is you're crying out to a little g God. And you're never getting an answer. You're never hearing back. And so you're thinking, man, where is God? Hey, listen, you don't have him. He's not in your heart. You've never been saved. Maybe today what you need to do is you're like the mariners that just need to cry out to God for salvation. Repent of your sin. And like Chris did yesterday in my office, accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Begin your journey of faith. Because these guys, they weren't even saved. They cry out to their God. And cast forth the cargo. The I'm reading out of the King James that, that that word wears is just a really bad word right here for us today. There's no no way we could even know what that is without getting some kind of dictionary out or some kind of cord. That word's an old English word for the word cargo. So they're casting things overboard. And by the way, when you start throwing stuff, valuable stuff away to survive, it's pretty serious. So they're throwing over their cargo that was in the ship and they lighten it. But Jonah, where was Jonah? He's down, he is down in the basement of the ship, fast asleep. People 
who live in rebellion against God often spend a lot of time sleeping. They're depressed. They're selfish. It's the husband who's cheating on his wife. and He's laying in bed. He's sawing logs. He's sleeping, just dead sleep. And his wife's over here miserable, and she's wondering if her marriage will ever be the same again. Stomach's in knots while her husband selfishly sleeps and continues in his sin. People who rebel somehow don't care. They just don't care what it does to people. They don't care who dies. They don't care who's affected. They don't care who their dope messes up. They just care about themselves. So Jonah's just sleeping while everybody else is freaking out, trying to figure out what to do. Selfish. One of the most incredible attributes of rebellious people is they just don't care. It's like someone who doesn't tie to the church. They're just selfish. They take that money and use it for themselves and just let the pastor figure a way to keep the lights on and the bills paid. And that's why we've got to be obedient to God because when we're not, we hurt the whole congregation while we're spending our money at Starbucks and having a good time and taking our 10% and throwing it to the wind. And, and the church suffers because of disobedient people. I'm sorry. It's, it's true. It's just true. And, 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 and there's no way to water it down. It's just, it's just what's happening here in this passage. And so we find here that verse 6 says, So the shipmaster came, and he goes to Jonah, and he says, Look at verse 6. Here's the question. What meanest thou, O sleeper? In other words, don't you even care? I mean, why are you sleeping? Arise, call upon your God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Are these the same guys that were calling out to a little G God? Notice in this verse, is it a big G God? Yes. Now they're recognizing, wait a minute, Jonah's God is that God that parted the Red Sea. Jonah's God, I mean, he's not our God, but he's Jonah's, Jonah's, we've heard about this big bad God. Woo, this, this God don't mess around. We've heard about this God. I mean, he is a God that can make things happen. Jonah, cry out to your God. Lest we die, verse 7. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. Casting lots was a very normal thing back then. I mean, now we wouldn't even think to do this, you know. It's just what, it's not necessary. It's not, it's not a process of decision-making any longer. But back in the Old Testament, in fact, the last time we see lots casted in Scripture was Acts chapter 1 for, uh, to, to, take, to, to choose the disciple to take the place of Judas. But in the Old Testament, it was a very common occurrence to cast lots to figure out who's at fault. And the lot fell upon Jonah. And then they say to him in verse 8, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is your occupation? What's going on here? Where do you come from? Where, where, what country are you from? Well, what people are you from? What's going on? Tell us. They're freaking out. The ship's in bad shape. The lot falls upon Jonah. They start bombarding him with questions. Who are you, dude? What's going on? What's wrong? Why is this happening? And here's what he says. Jonah's answer in verse 9 is, I'm a Hebrew. I fear God, the God of heaven who hath made the sea and the dry land. 
Man, if I'm them, I'm thinking, that's the God we need. The God of the sea and the God of the dry land. We need some serious dry ground right now. He recognizes, they recognize he is serving that, that God. And they were, these men were exceedingly afraid. And they say to him, why have you done this? For the men then knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11. Then said they unto him, what shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. In other words, it's getting increasingly stormier. It's getting worse. The storm is getting worse. The farther Jonah gets from God, the worse the situation gets. Verse 12. And he says to them, here's what Jonah says. Jonah's response to, what are we going to do with you? Jonah says, ah, just take me up. Just throw me overboard and the sea will be calm. Because it's my fault. Because here's the thing, guys. I'd rather die than do what God said to do. You see, far too long we thought that was a good verse. That's a stinking verse. I hate that verse. You know what Jonah should have done? The same thing you and I should do. Find a place and repent. And say, God, I'm sorry. And then we'll see that storm stop. And God will forgive us and restore us and use us again. But Jonah's solution is, I don't really, I don't care if I die. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'd rather you throw me overboard and just let me die. That's not the solution. So here's what they do. These guys love Jonah more than Jonah loves Jonah. Nevertheless, the men rowed. No, we can't throw you overboard, dude. We can't do that. That's cruel. So they're trying to save him. They're rowing harder and harder to bring it to land, but they could not. For the sea got even more tempestuous. Wow. These pagan men cared more about Jonah than he cared for himself. Verse 14. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. In other words, they're begging. They're now praying to his God. They're saying, God, please don't let this happen. We don't want to throw him overboard. It's getting to be our last resort, God. We're trying every. Would you please, would you please have mercy? And finally, in verse 15, they took up Jonah and they cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. Like, just like, just like it started, it stopped. Now, at this point, we are ready to talk about how to get right with God. But that's next week. You see, chapter two is all about getting right with God. So here's, my, here's what I'm thinking. If you're living in rebellion, you got one more week to live it up. I mean, really, just have a great time. Just keep throwing your life away for one more week. Hopefully you'll survive. Your kids will survive. Your marriage will survive for one more week. And then next week, if you come, how stupid. I'm not changing my sermon next week. It's going to be on steps to getting back right with God. But here's the good news. You don't have to wait till next week. You can do it this week. And so in order for us to identify the areas in our lives that maybe God is dealing with us so we can start our journey back to God, can I give some suggestions? Because since we don't have to wait till next week, let's get specific with God. What do we need to change? Number one, is it a habit? I mean... Can you identify a habit in your life? Wait a minute. Before you go straight to cigarettes or alcohol or pornography, is it just a habit of sleeping in late and not doing your devotions? 
Have you just gotten really used to just pressing the snooze and forgetting God every morning and leaving your house without the presence of God in your life and preeminent? I met God in the morning when the day was at its best and his presence felt like glory, like a sunrise in my breast. All day long, his presence lingered and all day long he stayed with me and we sailed through troubled darkness or a very troubled sea. Other ships were torn and battered and other ships were sore distressed. But the wind that seemed to drive them brought to me a peace and rest. And I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mine when I too had loosed the moorings with his presence left behind. But I think I found the answer learned from many a troubled way. If you'll seek God in the morning, you can have him all the day. So how many of you are just forgetting God in the morning? He's not your first thought. He's not your first thing. He just gets your leftovers. You say, well, I didn't know you were talking about that habit. See, we like, we like to point our, our, our fingers at the really big stuff. But you see, Team Revolution was about the little things. And sometimes it's not, well, I'm not a drug addict. Well, I don't, I don't abuse my wife physically. Well, I don't. Well, okay, God bless you. You're not in prison. That's good. So what do you do that is not honoring to God? Anything? Sure. I've got things. You've got things. These are the things we need to identify. Is it a habit? Number two, is it a behavior pattern? Is it something that is just a pattern in your life? It deals with the way that you treat people, the way that you act. Maybe unkindness. Maybe you're just not... It's a behavior pattern in your life with, with your students, with your children, with your wife. It's just something that you've gotten in this rut, and you're just not nice. You're grouchy. You're mean. You're unkind. You've just got uh, an attitude, and you need to change it. Number three, is it a relationship that needs to heal? Is there someone in your life that, that you're holding at bay? You're, you're not letting them back because of the fact that they've done you wrong or they've mistreated you or they said something to you? Is it a husband-wife relationship that after 29 years, it's not what it needs to be and you just keep living with her but not having a relationship with her? I don't want that to be, Caroline and I. I don't want to just have a live-in partner that I call my wife. I want to have a relationship that requires time and effort and work. Number three, number four, is it just really finally forgiving someone? Is it a forgiveness? Is is there some bitterness? Someone that maligns you, someone that hurts you, someone that has abused you physically, sexually, emotionally, and you're bitter against them, and you're so hurt by the situation that it is like a cancer eating away at your spiritual life and you just need to let go of that and say, God, I for I release them. I'm not, I, I, know, I know there's a whole lot more to be said of forgiveness than just what I'm saying right now. But I think you know what I'm talking about. Is it that? Is it a level of commitment that you need to just deal with? I mean, you're not committed to Christ. You're not committed to the church. I don't mean... It's summertime, so it's good for me to talk about giving every now and then. But I I wonder, what is your commitment level to the church when it comes to the tithes and offerings? Are you committed? I know a lot of people are. I know I am. Are you committed to the church? Are you committed to giving? Are you committed to helping the church reach its budget, pay its bills, meet its needs? Are you committed to that? Are you committed 
to the workday Saturday? Or is it just something, I never go to that, I've got stuff I do, I've got my own house, I've got to mow my own lawn, somebody else can mow God's lawn. Could you, could you take an hour Saturday, two hours? Could you be here next Saturday? Brother Dauber's giving away 10 gift cards. Would you come and let somebody else win the gift card? Who cares? Right? I mean, I'm glad. I, I, want, I want to win the gift card, okay? But I'm not coming because of a gift card. I want to come because I love my job. I'm committed. I want to be here. But pastor, your job is to pray and preach and to mow lawns and to pick weeds. I'm in. I'll be there. Are you committed? What level of commitment do you have to your family? Is it just, you're just disconnected from an area that God is saying, you need to get back to this. And finally, is it a marriage decision? Is it a marriage decision? Is it just flat out, something is wrong in your marriage and you need to get it right? Just repent and say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm so sorry. I, I repent of my my, my, my sin, my lack of loving you like God loves the church. Men, what is it? You see, Jonah was rebellious. He was running from God. What area today are you and I running from God in? Surely there's something. I know there is in my life. And you know, I have a little advantage over, over all of us here today. Here's the advantage. I'm the dude that's got to prepare these messages, so I'm under conviction way before you are. You guys have it easy. You guys get to get convicted on Sunday morning. I got to wear this cotton-picking conviction for like three weeks. But you know what I've learned? I've never preached a sermon that I didn't eat myself. Not one. I've never walked off the pulpit and said, Got him. I've never done that. I've done this. I'm not worthy to even preach that. Man, that's what I feel right now. I feel like Jonah sometimes. But I want to come back. I want God's pursuing me today. God's pursuing you. So let's bow our heads for prayer, shall we? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Identify an area. Identify a habit. Identify a relationship, a behavior pattern. Identify unforgiveness. Identify a level of commitment or a marriage problem. What area is it that God is requiring of you this morning to be obedient in? What area is God calling you back to him? What area do you feel the storms of life raging in? And God sent that storm to get your attention. And he wants you to come back to him because he loves you and he's pursuing you. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment when we stand to just find a place at this altar and just begin to confess and repent and say, God, forgive me. I want to come back. I want to get right. I don't want to wait till next week. And maybe it is that you're like those mariners. You're, you've never been saved. Maybe you're, you cry out a lot, lot to God, but it's not the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's a God of your own making. It's, it's not God Almighty. It's the God of money. If I just had more money, if I just had more friends, and really what you need is God himself. God is pursuing you. 
God doesn't want to answer your problems with money or other people or opportunities. God wants to answer your difficulty with himself first. So if you're, if you're not saved today, I want to ask you just to know that we want to tell you how there is a God that died for your sins and he has become your substitute and he wants to reconcile you back to God himself and he can do that today. If you are lost, you can be saved today. Today. So we're going to pray and stand and we're going to sing that song. His presence, his presence is the air I breathe. Why are you running from the presence of God? Come back. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for this service. I thank you, God, for the privilege it is to preach and teach. And God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit who is real, who is in me, who God wants to breathe life into my death, who wants to heal me and bring me back into a right relationship with you. So Father, may I yield my life to you today and consecrate my life to you anew. May we all do that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand? Your presence is all I need. It's all